Thanks for joining us today on Mormon Land, where we explore news in and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Managing Editor Dave Noyce. I oversee the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. I'm joined by Senior Religion Reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Dave. We remind our listeners about another way to support Mormon Land. Just go to patreon.com, where with a donation as small as $3 a month, you can access transcripts to our podcast, our complete newsletter, and all of our exclusive religion coverage. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Mormonland. Now for today's episode. A multi-million dollar fraud lawsuit against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints appeared dead and buried nearly two years ago after a federal judge threw out the case. But a divided appeals court revived part of James Huntsman's suit this month, flatly stating that, quote, a reasonable juror, end quote, could conclude that the faith's top leaders, including then-President Gordon B. Hinckley, misrepresented how they spent $1.4 billion in church funds to build the for-profit City Creek Center shopping mall in downtown Salt Lake City. Did the money come from members tithing, intended for church and charitable operations, as alleged? Or did it come from the face commercial enterprises and, quote, earnings of invested reserves, as the church has maintained? Or are those, in the end, distinctions without a difference? Where does this case go from here? What are its chances? What's at stake for the global faith of 17 million members? And how does it fit into the ballooning media attention on the church's wealth? Here to discuss those questions and more is our colleague, Tribune reporter Tony Semerad, who has reported on this lawsuit since it was first filed, along with a multitude of other stories about the church's finances. Tony, welcome to Mormonland. Thanks very much. First, tell our listeners briefly what James Huntsman's lawsuit alleges and seeks. And we know that James Huntsman, a former member, is a brother of Paul Huntsman, chairman of the nonprofit Tribune's board of directors. So what does James' lawsuit say and what, what's he seeking? So this lawsuit was filed in California, March of 2021, kind of window. James Huntsman, 52-year-old uh, movie media mogul in California, is seeking about $5 million of uh, tithing and investment on earnings on tithing and, and damages from, from the Mormon church, basically alleging uh, fraud. He's alleging that he gave over a lifetime as a loyal member and uh, believes that that giving was under false pretenses, that he was misled, that Tithing and other kinds of donations like that were used exclusively for church operations and charity. And uh, so basically under California statute, he's claiming fraud and he wants the money back. Okay. And so what did the appeals court, the recent ruling? Well, so uh, uh, James Huntsman's lawsuit was rejected pretty quickly at the U.S. district court level. And he uh, swiftly appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and a three-judge panel from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, two of those judges, which is all you need, Mm -hmm. two out of three, um, basically overturned the district court judge's basis for summary judgment. The district court judge had ruled that if you agreed to a certain set of facts, which both sides sort of presumed were true for the purposes of summary judgment, would a reasonable juror uh, believe that. And uh, Judge Wilson said, no, a reasonable juror wouldn't. And two of the three at the Ninth Circuit said, 
hold on a second, a reasonable juror might believe that. And so it's been sent back to U.S. District Court. What did the dissenting judge, dissenting judge of the two in that two to one vote at the Ninth Circuit, what did what did he say? Well, so uh, it's a pretty strongly worded uh, dissent. Um, I believe a Judge Corman based in New York said, well, uh, basically sided with Judge Wilson at the U.S. District Court level, basically saying that if you accepted a um, a basic restatement of what church leaders said and what they did that um, a reasonable juror could not find um, a, a reason to think that uh, former or then President Gordon B. Hinckley and other church leaders were misrepresenting or lying in a way that would have convinced Huntsman and duped him, so to speak, and prove fraud under California statute. So what... Remind our listeners again, what is the key thing? As I understand it, it's that Gordon Hinckley said that it was not based on tithing, but on um, money from other corporate properties. Yeah. Yeah. But also um, interest on tithing. Was that did he say that? I guess this is this is the issue, right? Yeah. So so the the original lawsuit draws on five different sets of comments from church leaders, including these 2003 statements during general conference from from Gordon B. Hinckley. And just to back up a little bit to prove fraud in California, you basically have to prove a, a, a misrepresentation that there like an was intentional. A, a, a sort of an intentional basis for mm-hmm. James Huntsman to have been misled somehow. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from the pulpit, as you recall, in, in 2003, talking about the, the City Creek Center development in, in downtown Salt Lake City, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley said, you know, don't don't be confused about this. He meant to be very direct he said that no tithing would be used on that project, um, but went on to say that earnings off of investments and specifically earnings off of invested tithing would be used um, and, uh, you know, made at least in his mind a very clear distinction between the two, between tithing and um, earned earnings off of invested tithing. Um the 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 other four statements that were included in the lawsuit did not involve that additional explanation. They were just basically direct statements from church leaders that no tithing would be used. It's only Hinckley that then went on to say where the money could come from. And it's that distinction between tithing and, you know, earnings off investments of tithing that are that were both the subject of Wilson's decision. You know, at the U.S. District Court level, which basically said nobody can confuse that. Hinckley was very direct. Um, And then uh, the one dissenting judge at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals felt Hinckley's statement was very clear and nobody could have been misled by that. The two uh, prevailing judges, however, seemed to say that that last sort of qualifying statement about earnings on investments was a little more ambiguous and um, their, their, their feeling was that there in, in some ways it was sort of apples and oranges referring very clearly to tithing, but then in a more kind of ambiguous way to where the money would come from. And so it's based on 
a reading of that statement and those differences that the judges. So if he had just said no tithing monies were used without that additional, would there be that sort of in some ways a a false statement? Yeah, it, it, it does raise it. It it is that sort of latter part of it. That's the issue. Entered in the court record and and it's part of the evidence base that the ninth circuit had to sort of base its decision on. But yeah, that's what's, that's what's created. The, the ambiguity is the lack as it were of a clear explanation as to where the money was coming from. If it wasn't coming from tithing. Tony, I want to, I want to go on that just a little bit more. Cause you and I have talked about this too. Um, I, I wish for our listeners, I'm going to read what Gordon Hinckley said at the general conference. Okay. I wish to give the entire church, the assurance that the tithing, that tithing funds have not, and will not be used to acquire this what that would be the mall property, nor will they be used in developing it for commercial purposes. Funds for this have come and will come from those commercial entities owned by the church. These resources together with the earnings of invested reserve funds will accommodate this program. That seems to be carefully worded to get around what the very point of contention is. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the judges at the ninth circuit also, well, as did judge Wilson also make a very interesting distinction about Huntsman, as opposed to just the regular Joe or Jane out there, basically saying that having been inculcated in the church and aware of doctrine, he would have known what that language that Hinckley was using, what that meant. And being involved in business and, and knowing much about the business world and right, large right, sums right. of money. Right. And, and so it's important to remember that this lawsuit hinges not just on what the average person might believe, but James Huntsman's threshold is that he has to... He has to believe fraud in his case that he was misled by that. So I, you know, I would agree that it would appear to be a fairly clear statement from Gordon B. Hinckley, but um, the it, two two judges, two of the three at least, disagreed. Okay. So uh, James Huntsman is is claiming all his tithing over time should be returned, right? Yeah. Not just the year of city Creek or whatever, what does he say were his reasons for paying tithing before this? Well, those uh, reasons uh, very carefully enumerated are much like the reasons that any devout member of the church, you know, the basis for, for tithing, he recognized it as a, as a sacred ritual had been assured both directly and sort of implicitly uh, by church imagery and doctrine and that sort of thing, that those those monies were used exclusively for operations and for for charitable charitable purposes and specifically not for commercial. Uh, for Except most most devout Latter-day Saints really don't care what the church does with it's their money. Yeah. They do it as a, as a religious discipline. Yeah. They don't say, well, I mean, they presume that it's being spent for charitable purposes or religious purposes, but every time we do a story about tithing members, tell us we don't, we don't really care what they do with our money. Yeah. That's, that's, so that makes him distinctly different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, by way of broader context, James Huntsman is caught up in the same kind of um, almost transformational kind of perceptions of church wealth that's been going on since uh, 2019. His lawsuit was essentially triggered by these claims that we are 
most of us are familiar with now by um, IRS whistleblower David Nielsen, a former employee of Ensign Peak Advisors, the church's big investment arm. These revelations in 2019 that, um, you know, this vast repository of church wealth had not been spent on charitable purposes, um, I think have changed essentially the debate on church wealth. And it, it was really those comments that brought everything into context for Huntsman and prompted his lawsuit. And in fact, Nielsen, an affidavit from Nielsen was included in the record at the, at the district court level. So he, I, I, it's, it's interesting that James Huntsman would seem to represent kind of a different view of, of, of tithing, but it does seem to be related to this idea that th- those funds aren't being used for and himself, charitable And he purposes. himself has changed over time, I guess, about his reasons for paying tithing. And if, if the yeah. 2019 whistleblower changed. Yeah. Yeah. He, he actually stopped, I believe in 2015 and left the church in 2020. About the time of the exclusion policy about, I right, think. Right. Is, is right. When, and we, we, we he have, has cited. Right. So. And we, we have other indications through his commitment to donate any sort of settlement in this lawsuit to charitable mm-hmm. purposes and specifically one supporting LGBT that he, mm-hmm. that he does, that he has reacted to that. And he's also on the record as reacting to the church's policy on polygamy too. Right. Now, Nielsen's affidavit, points to this tithing and how those funds were viewed by people who were over those funds. Right. I, I think is what does his affidavit say in regard something about that? It was all treated as tithing yeah, by it's a, employees. It's, it's, you know? it's a fascinating insight into Ensign Peak Advisors culture. The church's investment the arm. church's investment arms culture in a way that according to Nielsen's affidavit and claims he's made in the whistleblower uh, complaint to the IRS that essentially everybody up and down the hierarchy at Ensign Peak referred to these as tithing funds, whether they were originally surplus tithing or invested um, funds that, you know, the yield of invested tithing. It was all referred to tithing, according to David Nielsen, and all kind of commingled in a way. And that um, Huntsman has referred to that um, very specifically in his lawsuit at the district court level that, you know, Ensign Peak itself wasn't distinguishing whether this was tithing or not. Um, so why would we believe their their distinction? So um, just to be clear, the two expenditures that are at issue, um, there was a $1.4 billion expenditure from Ensign Peak for City Creek Center, um, another 600,000, 600 million, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. don't forget the zeros, Yes, um, $600 million expenditure on an, on an ailing insurance company, Beneficial Life. Was also mentioned in, in that the uh, church owned that mm-hmm. the church owned that, owned that was also mentioned in Huntsman's lawsuit. Interestingly enough, at the Ninth Circuit level, the those the two judges have decided to wipe away the beneficial life portion of this. There just wasn't the same sort of evidentiary level of you know fraud claims related to that expenditure as opposed to City Creek, but the City Creek expenditure now goes back to the district court level. Let's talk about district court now. So, so the case, at least right now is going back to, what's the next steps? We have a couple of interesting signals there. The, the court docket indicates that the church has brought in new attorneys. One's based in Alexandria, Virginia for what will be a rehearing before the ninth circuit. So the, the church has uh, filed documents the, the original case, the, 
the the three judge panel is what's called a a, a panel mm-hmm. <laughs> of the Ninth Circuit uh, Court. An en banc rehearing would go before all twenty nine judges. There's uh, which the church is seeking that rehearing, or it's, at least it's filed in it's indicating that it in, indicating yeah. that it will will seek that rehearing. There's a very high threshold for that. Um, has to basically prove major error by the original three panel uh, 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 panel of judges. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if where they get on that rehearing, and then following that rehearing, it would be remanded back down to to the district court to Judge Wilson in California. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's back at the district court, um, let's say it ends up back at district court. Okay, same judge, Judge Wilson's court. Right. Um, it goes to discovery, possibly trial. Yeah, um, yeah. Those. What's at stake for the church in that? Those are both um, logical steps. There's um, a lot of evidence from uh, the church's prior handling of litigation like this that involves uh, church leadership. That the evidentiary stage, the discovery stage, is uh, r- r- really a, a high bar. The church is going to do um, whatever it can to avoid. Uh, putting senior leaders on the stand, having them go through depositions. Um, and that's what this evidentiary stage at the district court would involve. Um, it basically goes back to the stage at which it originally went up mm-hmm. at summary judgment and that they were just about to go into to discovery um, at that stage. So it, it it's really going to be up to Judge Wilson wh- what the specific steps are from here. Um, but um, discovery is Next on the agenda. Why would that be? Why would they try to avoid that? Let's put it that way. Well, um, the there's uh, every indication from this court record that the that the church is uh, very skittish about releasing financial information. Uh, there's been a substantial amount of this uh, court case devoted to arguments um, about what should be redacted, what financial information the church has provided to kind of show where this money came from and where it went. Um, they've, they've, uh, really set a high standard for wanting to keep most, if not all of that information redacted and away from the public, uh, public size, the attorneys in the case and the judge have all been, been privy to it. So, um, and we have other signals that they're highly reluctant to release any kind of financial information. So that, that may be one, um, um, threshold, some of the witnesses that, submitted affidavits on behalf of the church are relatively highly placed. They've, they've drawn from people in the finance department and that sort of thing. And the, the, the church may well be reluctant to, but not really general authority level, ecclesiastical level right now. Not, not at at this point, not at this point, not at this point, but the, but the remanded case, the case that's been sent down to the district court level very clearly hinges on these statements from church leaders and any sort of finding of fact that the court will do will probably involve further input from church leadership as to Mm -hmm. whether those statements are accurate or not. Mm -hmm. So of course, Gordon Hinckley's not around. So, right. Not around. Yeah. And it, it, so it, it, it and, and this case is brought against the corporation of the presiding bishopric. And so we could we could easily see mm-hmm. leadership of the corporation called or asked to submit testimony. Yeah. That kind of leads to a, a, a question that I want to ask is many argue that this is a religious freedom issue with grave constitutional concerns. Um, is that expected to be an issue moving forward? I assume that's some of the arguments the church is making. Yeah, well, it, it's been or abs- has made. It's been absolutely fascinating that up until this level, Judge Wilson at the district court level, 
the two, well, actually the three judges at the Ninth Circuit have all um, ruled um, that this remains a secular case. That is, the the action that James Huntsman is bringing is not protected by First Amendment constitutional protections of religion, and specifically, there would be a, um, a an ecclesiastical autonomy or ecclesiastical abstention, which is sort of a technical way of saying courts need to stay out of certain religious matters. Courts can't be in the under the U.S. Constitution, they can't be in the in the business of deciding whether matters of faith are correct or not. Um, and um, it's been ruled secular so far that uh, that is that Huntsman can bring his case without veering into First Amendment territory. But this um, there are very strong indications that this could be a turning point. And that the church could start making arguments that indeed any kind of inquiry about tithing, asking church leaders what they were thinking when they spent tithing money could very easily become a religious kind of debate and question that the court would be precluded from deciding. So um, the lines are fairly clearly drawn now, but that could very easily change. Okay, some some Latter-day Saints, even faithful tithe-paying ones, have have said the problem is the church's lack of transparency on its finances, which is something that you say that the church is eager to continue to 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 kind of shield, you know, the, all, all of its doings. But that came especially in the wake of when a Securities and Exchange Commission fine uh, that the church paid because it was failing to reveal the scale and, or report the scale and scope of its, of its stock holdings could trans greater transparency help the church avoid these kinds of fights on, on like James Huntsman's. Yeah. I, I, I find that question very interesting. Um, I'm not sure if uh, uh, church transparency um, with regard to the expenditures at issue here on city Creek and then on the insurance company if additional transparency would have prevented this particular uh, sort of fraud claim, uh, right? The the church, I think, in Huntsman's mind was sort of being judged as not being particularly transparent. And this revelation from Nielsen was sort of seen as a shocker. Right. But except if everybody knew that that's what the church was doing with its excess tithing and it was building surplus and investing in it and things like that, yeah, it, then they would know ahead of time. Yeah, that, it could, you know it could I mean? very well have headed this off. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. Um, th- there, there isn't any indication that we have more transparency to come, even in reaction to something like this. And I, and I, I, I really need to highlight that in this case, there's been a tremendous amount of contention about just very simple numbers um, regarding the church finances. And the church has gone to exceptional effort to try to keep those secret to the point where the actual oral arguments before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals were closed. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Attorneys tell me this virtually never happens, but because of this concern about financial information, those arguments were closed. So uh, it's specific to this case. And then I think in the general picture, we don't have much indication that that transparency is coming. Would it have precluded this lawsuit? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Hard to tell. It's all conjecture, of course, at this point. Hard to tell. Could this lawsuit impact other legal actions against the church, including including the one in Salt Lake's federal 
court? Yeah, that. Tell uh, us what those are. Yeah, that quickly. that case um, by, brought by a woman, I believe in South Carolina or Laura, North Carolina, North like Carolina, the Carolinas. Uh, yeah, um, Laura Gaddy and a couple of other plaintiffs. She is also suing to recover uh, tithing money, and it's based on an argument, a line of argument that's gotten a little bit more entangled in the sort of religious question. Truth claims, uh, essentially. Tr- 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 truth claims. Did, did the church actually believe what it was saying when they uh, sort of convinced these plaintiffs um, to tithe? Um, being a Utah case, that's in the 10th Circuit of Court of Appeals. So anything kind of binding in the 9th Circuit is only... Um, it, it's only citable by reference. It's not binding um, but between the, 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 the circuit courts. But as we were talking before, this case could very easily veer into religious protection kind of arguments that could then indeed resonate with this other. But it hasn't been dismissed. I it, mean, it's still. Um, it, 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 a, a portion of it has been stricken and they're and, uh, struck down and they're they're. The, the attorney tells me that they're considering whether to appeal that. But um, the the core answer to your question is this case could have bearing on other tithing cases and on other religious freedom cases, uh, depending on how these arguments at the district court level go. But that federal court here in, in Utah also ruled that churches aren't immune from fraud claims. That's right. That's right. That, that, that case has also contributed to this sort of precedent that you can bring fraud cases against religious institutions in certain, certain circumstances. Uh, a couple more questions. One is Tony, what has struck you about covering this? Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. The status that um, James, James Huntsman has within the Mormon church and the way that has resonated in this case, um, it, even in uh, l- letters um, between attorneys in an attempt to settle this before it was filed, both sides have made reference to his sort of long pedigree as a Latter-day Saint. He's, of course, son of John Huntsman Sr., a prominent philanthropist and supporter of of, of church leadership. And, and th- this one clearly resonates for the church, given the fact that James Huntsman comes from the sort of background that he does. And there's been sort of a... Uh, an, an expectation that he would um, see things more from the church's perspective than I think he does. That's kind of implied in church documents. That's been really, that's been a really striking aspect to me that the, the it, it isn't just any plaintiff. This is a particular, uh, his status resonates with the church in a way. And I think with church members. So one last question, Tony, this, this ultimately is not a case about whether the church was right to invest its funds to build a mall or to bail out an insurance company, which is no longer part of it. But it's about whether leaders committed fraud in doing so. What do legal experts say about the chances of this lawsuit ultimately succeeding? Yeah, well, I would go one step further. It's, mm-hmm. it's even narrower than that. It's what did James Huntsman believe and how did he act on those beliefs? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, a very careful parsing of that aspect of it, of how you prove fraud in California he still has a long way to go. This is going to be a very challenging thing to prove at the district court level that he actually was misled, personally misled by these statements, and that he gave these millions. And that those statements were intended to mislead. Intended to mislead. 
um, a, a huge threshold in terms of the proof of this case that, um, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley actually intended to mislead from the pulpit. Um, and, and again, not just anybody, but him specifically, he has to prove that that was the basis of his tithing, you know. Tony Semerad, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Very we much. look forward to your continued coverage. Um, thanks also to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Theodora Soder. We remind you that you can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormon Land newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormon Land. Mormon Land.